The title of the message is Eve, Mother of the Living. Eve, Mother of the Living. Genesis chapter 3, 1 through 7, verses 15 through 16. And then Genesis chapter 4, 1 through 8, 25 and 26. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it, or you will die. Verse 4. The serpent said to the woman, You surely will not die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. Verse 6. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was delightful to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. And she gave, gave also to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. Verse 15. This is the Lord speaking now in terms of the judgment that would come as a result of what they did. And he says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you will bring forth children, yet your desire shall be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Chapter 4, verse 1. Now the man had relations with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I've gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. Again she gave birth to his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of the flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So it came about, verse 3, in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord from the fruit of the ground. Abel, verse 4, on his part also brought an offering from the firstlings of the flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain became very angry, and his countenance fell. Verse 6, and the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. Cain told Abel his brother, and it came about that when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Verse 25. Adam had relations with his wife again. And she gave birth to a son and named him Seth. For she said, God has appointed me another offspring in place of Abel, for Cain killed him. Verse 26, to Seth, to him also was born a son, and he called his name Enosh. Then men began to call on the name of the Lord. God help us as we study. I want to talk to you today about the resulted loss from Eve's really poor decision, and then the redemptive gains that could come from a mom who decides to believe God in the face of difficulty, in the face of difficulty. Eden was amazing. I mean, it was amazing. There's no way to describe it in our terms because everything that we think is really great in terms of, a, a, say, an idyllic place to live or a place to go on vacation, um, probably would classify as the slums of Eden. 
Eden was perfect. perfect. We don't have anything on the planet that's perfect. Everything we judge as being really great is how many flaws it doesn't have. There's always something that's not right because people are running it. And so the stuff we think is fabulous is fabulous because most of the stuff we wouldn't describe as fabulous is horrible. But with Eden, perfect. There was nothing wrong there, no lack. No risk of sunburn with no clothes. There was no sense that you might get skin cancer. There was no sense that you couldn't drink from the water, that somehow you get a parasite. You just went to the trees for breakfast. You had to work. Adam had to work. Every man has to work. The difference between Eden and out of Eden when they sinned, and as a result of that, they had to get kicked out, was that when they got out of Eden, his work now was by the sweat of his brow. In Eden, there was no hard work. It was fun work. It was good work. It was perfection, literally. It was supposed to be a reflection of heaven on earth. God wanted to, to replicate for mankind a place that was supposed to be representative of where he lived. And heaven and earth were different and distinct, but they weren't separate. It was like you went from one room into another when you came to earth. No distinction. That great. Nobody, nobody who lived on earth, if Adam and Eve had, had kids in the garden, would have thought they needed to go to heaven to find a better spot. This was, it was perfect. Perfect. But man had something bent on the inside that wasn't satisfied with what God provided. No flaw in it. It's just that they felt they didn't have everything they wanted. And so the enemy was able to leverage the moment and say, you know, God's, God's kind of small. He's concerned that you might be competition. And he's really concerned that you might take his spot. That's why he doesn't want you to eat from this tree. He's concerned you're going to be just like him. And he doesn't want that for you. The enemy began to take the things that were really good and make them seem not enough. Are you listening to me? Make them seem like God was holding out on them. That he really didn't have their best interest in mind. He was just all protective because he was selfish. The enemy will lie to you about the provision God provides. He will lie to you and say it's not enough. He doesn't care for you. And remember, there's always somebody who has more that will make you think you don't have enough. Always. And there are people who have less that think you're that person. <laughs> so everybody is, is thinking God's not fair. I need more of that. They think I have it all, but I don't. I need more of what they have. It's the lie of the enemy. There's something really special about contentment. Contentment doesn't mean you're satisfied. There are things that God has done in my life, <laughs> so many things that I could not have done on my own that make me content every day of my life. If I went to heaven today, I'd be good. I'd be so good. 
Because I realize you have squoze, and that's not even a word. You have squoze more juice out of this little black man than I ever thought possible. I like it better than squeezed. <laughs> when you preach for 40, you can say what you want. You can make up words anytime you want. I'd, be ha I'd never thought any of this would happen. I am so grateful to God. I am very content. But I'm not satisfied. Content makes me grateful. Satisfaction says, I'm still breathing, so there's more stuff I got to do. And so I get up inspired to do more for God tomorrow because I realize there's more for me to do. But that doesn't mess with my contentment. Adam and Eve were not content. They could find satisfaction in the vision God already inspired. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth, subdue it. Like, that isn't enough? That's huge. But the enemy will always make you think God doesn't have your best interest in mind. He's holding out on you on that guy. Mm-hmm. You need him. He will, he will provide for you. Does he love Jesus? Uh-uh. But I need him. He'll make you think God is holding out. And you've got to be really, really careful. As Eve was not listening to God but listening to the wrong voice, she ate from the tree of which she, tree of which she should not have eaten and gave to her husband who was with her. And all of a sudden, something happened. The eyes of both of them, it says, were opened. And they began to see one another differently. You know, people you trust in relationship, friends, spouses, relatives, all's good until somebody does something wrong, until somebody betrays, somebody backstabs, somebody says the wrong thing to the wrong person or maybe the wrong thing to you. And then all of a sudden, that same person who has not changed, you just now see them differently. That same person, you don't want to be around them anymore. We understand what that's like because we've done it multiple times. Adam and Eve had no clue. I'm not saying what I just said was right. I'm saying this is anecdotal. This is what happens. For Adam and Eve, they have never experienced this before. They began to see one another differently. For Eve, she no longer had the respect of her husband. Why? Because he's the one that threw her under the bus to God. When the Lord shows up in the garden, he says, why are you hiding? Where are you? Have you eaten of the tree of which I told you not to eat? He said, well, it was, it was a woman that you gave me. So it was a woman's fault and you gave her to me. I was good. I was good. You know, you said it was good for a man not to be alone. I was good. So he's blaming Eve and God. I mean, you felt both axles of the bus hit Eve. And it didn't take long for Adam to come to that conclusion. Whenever I cry out to God for help, he shows up in a hurry to me. Whether it's I've done something wrong and I'm trying to ask him, please deliver me from the consequences of my stupidity. Or I just need him because I need his help. He shows up in a hurry. He doesn't wait and say, no, I'm going to let you stew, bro. You're going to wait there a long time before I show up. That's going to that's make you feel how much I disdain your, your sin, your wrong action. He doesn't do that. My sense is that he showed up immediately with Adam and Eve, which gives me an understanding. Boy, sin works quick. He, Adam barely had to think about blame shifting. 
It just happened naturally. Lying, letting somebody else take the fall for what he did. The woman you gave me. And then he, God turns to Eve and says, did you do this? Well, it was the serpent. Again, kind of saying, God, you, I don't know how he got in here. I don't even know how he got on the planet. I don't know where he came from, but he just started talking to me and, you know, blaming God. At least for neglect. They saw one another differently. Eve no longer had the respect of her husband. And she no longer had respect for her husband. Like where, why didn't you, isn't it your job? Didn't God tell you to guard and keep? What were you doing when this thing was talking to me? Why in the world did you let this happen? That's what was going through her brain. And for Adam, how could you have allowed yourself to be deceived by that serpent? They saw one another differently. It was horrible. Their lives would change forever. And the judgment that would come upon them was almost unbearable. Eve, as a result, you're going to have pain in pregnancy. Now, it says childbirth here, but it means the entire process. What was supposed to have been a joy all the way through now was going to be a pain all the way through. Mamas, blame Eve for, for morning sickness. <laughs> That's something you didn't cause. Now, you've amplified many things in your life from the things that you inherited from Eve. You have helped in the process of your own skill sets when it comes to becoming really good at sin. And we have too, men too. This isn't a bashing of women this morning. All of us have really worked hard at becoming good at this thing that Adam and Eve did there in the garden. But the, the, the pain in childbirth, that's all her. You did nothing to get that. And it means the entire process, not just the birthing, but the conception and the carrying, then the birthing, and then what it takes to birth them into adulthood. <laughs> You're going to have pain in this. And, oh, somebody's getting it this morning. <laughs> and you, you and your husband are going to have this thing going on whereby your desire will be for your husband, but he will rule over you. Now, that passage there doesn't have anything to do with the woman beginning to think that her husband is really attractive. Nothing. The word desire means to crouch like a lion. Which means when a woman marries a man, she's thinking he's prey. <laughs> I know you think much of yourself, men. But this is the tendency that a woman has when she says, I do. Why? Because she knows she's marrying incompetence. <laughs> she knows it. She's not telling you how messed up you are because you go find somebody else who won't. But she knows how messed up you are. She just thinks this is the best I can do. So what this means is this, realizing how flawed we are. You know that passage over in Peter where it says, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way as with a weaker vessel. I, I, people say, well, see, women are weaker vessels to men. I don't think that's what Peter's saying at 
Oh, listen, you need to get my book, High Ceilings, because I don't read the Bible like most people read the Bible. I don't. I read the Bible as I think it was intended to be written. And I don't think, I don't think Peter's talking about how women are weak at all, because I don't know any weak women. Do you? Now, I'm sure there's some out there. I just don't know any. You try to call my wife weak. <laughs> once. <laughs> That'll happen once. <laughs> my mother, oh my goodness. For most of my bringing up, she was like a single mama. Strong as mustard gas. She was amazing. My daughter's strong. I don't hire any weak women on staff. They all have this, this, this power on the inside of them. And they're convicted and they speak out. They're amazing human beings. But you can never describe them as weak. And you single mamas that are doing it all by yourself. I mean, I know you won't do it, but I'm flexible. Weakness can never be ascribed to the opposite sex, especially you who have birthed children. Any man who calls a woman weak and he hadn't birthed a child, it's a fool, absolute fool. Taking too long on this point, I think what he's saying is this. Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way because they're in a weaker position. They have to follow you. So you better live with them in an understanding way, understanding they chose you knowing that they were choosing incompetence. There are some things you can do that will help. There's no question. And if I were to do a marriage seminar, both of you are incompetent. You're marrying flawed human beings. And as a result, both of you need the cross equally. But I'm not talking about men today. I'm talking about women. <laughs> women married incompetence. And as a result, every day they're saying... Lord, don't help us go off a cliff today. <laughs> help us not to go left where we should go right. Oh, he's making a bad decision. He's quitting his job. How are we going to eat? Oh, my God in heaven, what is he thinking? He won't listen to me. He won't talk to me. I have good ideas. I can't believe this is happening. What am I supposed to do? I can't stop him. I'm going to take the wheel. Jesus, if you won't take it, I will. <laughs> if you won't take it, I will. Men are prey. Women lie in wait until it is dire, when it looks like it's going right off the cliff. And they say, okay, now is the time for me to exert my authority. And men are still in charge. It doesn't mean that their authority needs to be that which is overlording. Anybody who does that is not a good husband. You don't tell your wife what to do. She's a partner with you. In fact, your authority needs to be best expressed in the way it sacrifices for their benefit. This is how Jesus said men ought to be. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Every day of your life, gentlemen, you should count it a privilege to be inconvenienced with the responsibility to die. To make your wives great. It's in the marriage seminar. So I'm stopping there. But this is one of the things that God said, Eve, this is going to be an issue for you. You're going to lie in wait every day looking for the opportunity for you to pounce on this authority. But he's still in charge. It's hard. You blew it. But this is what I'm putting in order in order to make sure order is preserved. And then she, she lost two boys. 
she lost her relationship with her husband. She lost the confidence of her husband. She lost respect for her husband. She, she had two boys, and these were born outside of the garden, meaning she lost her home. Can you imagine the guilt every day Eve had to go through? Thinking, I caused us to be homeless. I caused my husband to have to work like this. I'm convinced that Adam was a beast of a human being. It's not even the right way to describe it. It's just the way we would have to describe it because he was so, I think, enormously gifted physically and mentally. He could figure out in his brain the, the most complex math problems without a calculator. That's how wise and understanding he was. On top of that, because when he got kicked out of the garden, God said, you're going you're to till the ground and it will only reap for you thorns and thistles. That man had to work like never before. He was pulling up rocks without a shovel, without a backhoe, just trying to make sure his family could eat. And there's Eve looking, thinking, my husband's going out every day, trying to work as hard as he can. It's all my fault. And he's bringing home thorns and thistles. What am I supposed to do with thorns and thistles? You can't walk those things. No much, there's no amount of oil that's going to make them taste any good. God, really? I caused us to be homeless and we can't eat. Lord, really? And then they had two kids. They probably had many more, but these were just the most prominent, Cain and Abel. And we think they were twins because anytime the Bible talks about uh, when a woman gives birth and it doesn't say, and the man went and knew her again, and it just says born here and then born again, it usually means twins. Cain was first, Abel was second. And by all accounts, they were fraternal, not identical. Cain had issues, and his issues were not that he was bringing the wrong kind of offering. He was presenting it the wrong way. It says in the course of time, Cain brought his offering, meaning whenever he felt like it. He wasn't bringing the first fruits. He was dining on the crops as long as he could because he worked for it, and then he'd bring God the leftovers. That kind of offering is unacceptable. Grain offerings were part of the Israelite tradition in offering to God. So it wasn't that he was bringing the wrong kind of stuff. He was bringing it the wrong way. And to amplify that, it says that Cain brought of the firstlings of the flock. He wasn't trying to figure out how to get his food first. He's saying, God, I'm giving you this first. Offering to God first is always great. Cain, if you do right, <laughs> your countenance won't be like this and I'll be pleased. Just do right. He wouldn't. He went out and killed his brother because his brother was a testament of what he should do and he couldn't stand to look in the mirror and see his flaws. And one day, Eve lost Abel and then Cain was banished. And one day she lost two boys. God, this is my, this is my fault. This is my fault. This is my fault. Ladies, do you ever feel like You've made so many mistakes. You could have made so many better decisions. And as a result of your, your, your wrongs, that somebody's suffering. It doesn't look like it's ever going to work out well. You're doing your best to make sure that your children never wind up on the couch of a psychologist. But it doesn't look that way at 14. It looks like they're going to be talking to somebody about you. 
and your mind is just going crazy. Lord, I don't even know how to do this. I'm trying my best. I feel like I'm a failure. I don't feel like my kids listen to me anymore. I don't feel like they love me anymore. I, I feel like they're my enemy, and I'm trying to get in their life, but they say I'm irrelevant, and I don't care, but I care. And Lord, I just don't know what to do. I'm trying the best I know how. And my husband, oh, he's wonderful. He's tried, but all he does is just them with, with great strength and they repel at that and I'm stuck I'm stuck, I'm stuck I'm stuck, I'm stuck God and I'm asking you for help if you haven't been there, you haven't lived long enough as a mom because you'll get there someday by the way, those of you who find this holiday very difficult to go through because you have had miscarriages or maybe you terminated a pregnancy and your guilt is just overwhelming, please understand that God is so merciful. My wife and I have had six kids. We adopted one. But in the first four years of our marriage, we had two, two miscarriages. You talk about question marks, pain, agony, crying. Lord, why? How does this happen? What? And our God met us in ways that were really special so that we didn't blame him nor think him neglectful. We don't, that is not our go-to. When, when bad things happen to us, who we believe good things ought to happen to, we really believe that. We don't feel entitled, we just stand on the word. We believe that if we obey, good things are supposed to happen. But when they don't happen the way I think they're supposed to happen, I am never blaming him, ever. It's never a good idea to blame the one who gave the most for you. To let the moment begin to let your, your eyes become myopic and think somehow like the two-year-old in the checkout aisle who won't get his Skittles from mama. Believes that mama has turned on him and is now the enemy. She doesn't love him at all. She doesn't care about him at all. Obviously, he has to exert his own authority because this woman has gone off the reservation. Can't believe she's not going to give me what I want, and now she has become the worst person on the planet because their myopia doesn't allow them to see the whole landscape of blessing. The only reason that human being is on the planet because every day of his life she has sacrificed. And we who do not get what we want before God act like that two-year-old. We blame him. Where were you when? I can't believe a loving God would allow this bad stuff to happen. I don't deserve this. I try to help people. At least if, if we don't blame him, we think him neglectful. Be careful. He who gave his son for you gave the most for you. And he lets you breathe every day. Every day. Thank him even in the midst of going through difficult times. Love him even when it's hard. Be like Job who said, though he slay me, I will praise him. Eve, I've lost everything. I've lost everything. But God said this to me. I remember he said this one thing in the midst of all this lack. He said this one. I remember this one thing, that I would have a son who would crush the serpent's head. Crush his head. His heel will be bruised. It won't be an easy fight, but he will crush him. And though I don't have these two anymore, I'm not quitting. Everything on the inside of you will make you think that the, the difficulty and the failure you're experiencing now is permanent. You need to press. You need to get up every day and hold on to the word. 
Know that God has good for you, mama. Because you may not be able to crush the serpent's head like you would like. But if you keep going, one of these babies you birth. You keep going, you believe. And I know it doesn't look like it now. I'm not going to tell you all the things through which my bride and I have been. I know you think that somehow a pastor's house is it's, it's like heaven on earth. Ha! <laughs> we went through some stuff. I've been through things. I've been places I didn't want to go with my babies. Places where no pastor ought to be with my babies. And I believed, she helped me believe, we believed together every day that God was going to fulfill his word even though our eyes didn't tell us so. Someday our children were going to do that to the enemy's head. Someday. Eve didn't quit. She didn't quit. She didn't get discouraged by the moment. Both her boys were gone. Cried every day of her life realizing it was her fault. But she didn't stop. Baby, let's do this again. Adam, let's do this again. We're going to get another baby. Got Seth. And Seth had Enosh. It says, then men began to call on the name of the Lord. She lived long enough to see the promise come to pass. She just didn't quit. She kept believing. She kept trusting. Eve does not get enough credit for being a woman of extraordinary perseverance. And mamas, you've got something on the inside of you inspired by the Holy Spirit that I know will not allow you, even when everything else says stop, will not allow you to stop because you realize there's something beyond today. Tomorrow is there. And I know if God said it, I am one day closer to seeing him do what he said than I am further away. Simply because he said it then doesn't mean I'm further away from it happening. Meaning if I walk every day, if he said it then, then I mean I'm one day closer to it happening. So I'm going to trust you, even though today seems like a train wreck. I'm going to trust you, oh Lord, that somehow or another my marriage is going to be better. Somehow or another I'm going to become a better parent. Somehow or another my children are going to get some sense. That might work someday. Somehow or another things are going to be so great that we're going to praise you. And we'll realize it wasn't us, it was you. And more glory will go to you rather than my skill in parenting. Mamas, you are outstanding. Trust him. Don't let today be the definer of your tomorrow. We are grateful, Cynthia and I, for all the, the, the stuff through which we had to go to get here. It hasn't, it hasn't been easy and most of it has not been fun. But we found God in special ways through it. And as a result... We've been privileged to now have four kids in ministry in this church. Children who love. <clears throat> Tellus is becoming senior pastor, the baby boy who just graduated yesterday. This is really good. I mean, it's not just good to have him graduate, but it's good to have him graduate and have a job. He's going to become the youth pastor. Grant. <clears throat> Unless you think this is a nepoti- nepotistic thing. Okay. I can't defend it hardly. But generally speaking, the way people get hired from my family is that other people on staff say, they're great, we need to employ them. I don't. They have to work out an employment agreement with somebody else. I'm I'm not in it at all. The only way they get hired is because they're competent. And the only reason they get a position 
is because they deserve it. Their name Fuller does nothing for them. I make sure of that. Reality is they all heard from God on their own about their calling. I never pushed them. But they love church. They love you. They love the kingdom. And that's a rare thing for most PKs, pastor's kids. Most of them run from you. They run from me. They run to you. They run to us. We're going on vacation this week. And all of them are flocking to Naples, Florida. All my kids, we're going to have a great time together. They love being together and they love their parents. It's a miracle. (laughs) At least a miracle that they love their dad. Their mom is easy to love. (laughs) Mamas, let me pray for you. You are outstanding human beings. Your perseverance and your, your, your tenacity and your nurturing spirit and all the things that you provide to the parenting mix are essential for your children's progress and to produce a home that looks something like an outpost of heaven. Keep it up. Do not quit. Let Eve be an encouragement to you that though tragedy might strike, the sun comes up again in the morning. Father in heaven, bless every parent today. Pour out your grace on every mama. I'm asking for your power to be that which encourages them in new and fresh ways, to be that which they need to be for their children, and to love you more every day. Because when they do that, you transform them to be better parents to their children. Have your way.